You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. If you're looking to improve the performance and return on investment of your marketing, you have tuned in to the correct podcast. Congratulations. I am Chloe Thomas, the host of this Marketing Focus podcast, and it's great to have you tuning in. So thank you for joining me for this episode. This month, we are covering a marketing method that's not often seen as a marketing method. We're talking about liberating your products from your website and using your product data to put your products in front of customers on other websites and places around the internet. So using your products as marketing materials, if you like. We are unsurprisingly talking a fair bit about Amazon and other marketplaces and how to do that. But in this episode, we're flipping things a little bit and we're talking about why you shouldn't be listing on the marketplaces and why that might not be such a good move for your business. No massive answers in this episode, but a lot of questions to consider about your business to work out if it is or isn't the right choice for you. We're going to start off with a little bit about a project my guest is working on, which is a really interesting insight to where things may be going over the next couple of years. And then we'll be getting into the why you shouldn't be going onto marketplaces side of things. We're going to meet uh, today's guest in a second or two, but before we do, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for brands of all kinds and sizes. Whether you're an entrepreneur just starting out or you're part of a marketing team at a multinational brand, Klaviyo will give you everything you need to create memorable marketing moments, building customer relationships that keep shoppers coming back time and time again. Get started with a free account today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with marketplace expert Thomas J. Vosper. Thomas has been in the marketplace's world since he started with Amazon back in 2007. For the last four years, he's been deep in the world of product and price comparison, first at Price Searcher and now with his hugely successful startup, Aisle 3, where he and his team are creating an online shopping time machine. More on that later. Uh, hello, Thomas. Hey, Chloe. Thanks for having me on. It's one of my favourite podcasts and one of my favourite books as well that you uh, you wrote. So uh, it's, uh, it's an honour to be here. Awesome. And it's great to finally have you here. I love our catch-ups at, at events and stuff, but um, it's been too long. It's been, taken us almost a year to get you on here. So, um, so it's excellent to finally get that done. But um, how did you get into to marketplaces all those years ago? Yeah, so um, I started off at Amazon about 14 years ago and the UK team when bizarrely there were about six of us in the marketplace team launching all the types of retailers and categories that you um, take for granted exist now. I realised actually in a conversation the other day um, Prime didn't exist in the UK when I worked at Amazon. Uh, FBA, we launched, F I was on the team that launched FBA for merchants when, and we cheered when we went over 1% of uh, orders. That which is seems mad. Uh, yeah, incomprehensible <laughs> today. So yeah, I spent uh, you know pretty much half of my career across a lot of different programs uh, at, at Amazon, supporting both the customers and um, retailers and brands and different technologies. Spent a couple of years at Tesco trying to look after a general merchandise marketplace. Uh, unfortunately, about the same time that the, uh, the alleged two hundred fifty million pound accounting scandal kind of put an end to that. 
And then, yes, as you say, I spent the last three years at a price comparison startup and sadly didn't uh, make it. And so for my last year, it's uh, it's been building my own startup very much in the e-commerce space and trying to be forward looking as to how we think people are going to shop in the next few years. Now, I described in the intro a wonderful line, which I got off your LinkedIn profile, which is that aisle three is an online shopping time machine. We can't get into our topic before you actually explain what that means. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's quite interesting about it is e-commerce is growing at a rate of knots and there's a lot of marketplace consolidation and people are still shopping across lots of different sites, thinking they're seeing lots of different available offers. But we all have a very particular way that we shop. And I think you and your listeners will recognize this. And I find it bizarre that we can go to the moon and create a vaccine in 18 months across lots of different countries for something we didn't even know existed two years ago. Um, But when you want to buy a pair of wire set of wireless headphones or maybe you want to buy a pair of trainers in a color that you like in a size that fits you it takes hours to open multiple tabs across the top of your browser look on marketplaces search google check some of your sites that you may have heard of maybe ask for your friends over whatsapp to send you a link and some recommendations and so yes when you can go to the moon or you can go onto a comparison site and book a flight and the rental car at the airport that will take you to the hotel that you want to stay in in a matter of minutes uh, yeah it's just staggering that online shopping doesn't work that way it's it's mad isn't it and after you've done all that if you're anything like me you sit there with a couple of tabs open going do i trust that this one that pras got the right price but i'm not convinced that's actually the size or the color i think it is and then maybe another two tabs trying to work out which one i actually trust to be a listing of the product i think it might be absolutely and think of all of the great things that we could be doing with our time and with our lives when Yes, shopping for a pair of trainers has previously taken two hours. And actually, maybe if you can see the source of truth and you can get the best deal, whatever the best deal is for you in a matter of moments, that is time that we can all get back into our lives to do something way more interesting. And so that's the uh, that's the gift that I hope Isle 3 can give as we scale back to all of the shoppers across the planet. Without getting overly techy or or revealing any trade secrets here, how how are you doing this at Isle 3? Because it's something which I, I think, as you mentioned, a lot of people have tried to do in the past and hideously failed at. So, uh, so how are you guys going about it? I suppose, actually, there's been some very admirable attempts in the past and a lot of the challenges have been around technology. For example, price. if we take something like a price comparison site, there are names that some people may recognise. I think there's not many brands that people recognise, but they've been around for 20 years and have very successful businesses to some extent. But actually, 20 years ago, the idea of processing a whole bunch of products and then the computing power to try and aggregate those products was so ridiculously expensive to do that we're now kind of on an inflection point where there is the technology and the scalability to aggregate products at a very low cost and a very high scale that maybe didn't exist before. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Cool. I love it. So, so we won't go too deep into it, but you are taking advantage of the tech that's now out there to build something much better, to put it in a nutshell. To put it in a nutshell, we do the hard work. We go and source the internet for products, and then we take on the responsibility of matching all of those offers against different retailers. So the day that you, Chloe, look for that one pair of trainers, say that you want to, and I'm saying trainers because we launched with trainers, but the day that you want to set that one pair of trainers, you actually can click on that one link, and you may even see a bunch of offers, one of which no one else knows because no one's published that onto a viral product feed, onto a marketplace, onto a Google ad, anywhere else. And so we'll actually help you discover the products that you want to buy before you even know that you want to buy them. Okay, so I think we should end the intrigue there. And where can people go to find out and to give aisle three a go? Yeah, so we started with the trainers category. Um, so if you're in the market for a pair of trainers, have a look at aisle-3.co. Excellent. Aisle-number3.co. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Excellent. There you go, everyone. Go and have a, have a look at that and see what the future of e-commerce could well be looking like. Um, right. But Thomas, you're not here to talk about that. You're here mainly to kind of pose the alternative angle on... Um, what this month is all about, which is, should we be uh, be going on marketplaces? We've had some good cases for yes. You're here to give the case for no. Don't sell on marketplaces. Focus on your own brands. So why do you think brands out there shouldn't be selling on marketplaces? A marketplace as a sales channel is and should always be part of a much wider strategy. And there are things that I believe retailers should be very aware of now that maybe don't get recognized. And so um, I wouldn't, by the way, I wouldn't completely rule out ever selling on a marketplace. There's probably a bunch of very good discussions as to why you would appear on a marketplace. But I suppose if you Forget about it for a minute from a brand and a retailer perspective. Forget that you maybe run an agency or an e-commerce business and think about it as a customer. If you go on to Amazon and, you know, we can admit that we all do. We're amongst friends, right? If you think of the last thing that you bought on Amazon, can you honestly remember whether that was sold by Amazon or sold by a seller? If you don't know, that's a problem. If it was sold by a seller, who was that seller? If you don't know, that's a problem. And so it's an ecosystem that sellers and retailers are getting into where the brand equities owned by Amazon or other marketplaces are available. They are controlling the customer dialogue. And whilst all of e-commerce yes, is growing at a rate of knots, the lion's share is in the consolidation of marketplaces. And where that leaves you as a shop, as, as a retailer or trying to get access to customers and shoppers is the market is oversaturated and you then end up creating a landlord for yourself and have to pay for advertising just to appear on the top of a search term on a marketplace. Yes, you do essentially potentially become a buyer and seller of product on behalf of Amazon or eBay or whichever marketplace it may be you're selling on rather than a builder of your own business. And therefore you're at the whims of them. Yeah. 
Let me share something really bizarre I think would be um, unheard of to think that this would have ever happened, by the way. But Amazon were aware of this years ago. Amazon were very aware that just running through um, Google was creating a landlord for themselves as a way to get um, you know, shoppers onto their site, customers onto their site. Um, and so, you know, they very smartly moved away from that to start brand building and getting shoppers onto their site through all the mechanisms like Prime and increasing selection, everything that Amazon's been like an absolute machine at doing really, really well over years. But on my old pitch deck, why you should sell on Amazon, we used to say, because you will have, appear in Google ads and we will list you on price runner I think was round and Kelku and price minster off the top of my head and so you know like Amazon at the time was saying you can come onto our site because one we have customers and also we list you in all of these other places and then spent I don't know not even years probably really kind of unpicking all of that because how different would the world be if when Yahoo acquired Kelco, those were the two shopping destination sites and maybe like Amazon was just a, like something underneath the Kelco and maybe we didn't all go to Google, maybe all Yahoo'd everything. Yeah, it's... um. It, it is. If you've ever sat through kind of like a why sell on Amazon presentation, the way they're trying to streamline everything is basically about just leaving the sellers as people with ideas and the whole process takes part within Amazon, which I guess it really does add a question. If you're a business who's trying to create a brand and you've got an ethos and you've got a culture and you've got a vision and you're on a mission, do marketplaces form part of that strategy, I guess, is the question you're asking. Or suggesting we ask, maybe. Well, yeah, that's that's the that's the question that, that you should be asking yourself when you're trying to get in front of your shoppers, in front of your customers. Are you actually portraying yourself in the best light? And there's some really clever ways that marketplaces try and tackle this around branded storefronts. You know, over 10 years ago, we used to have a separate, a different tier of seller on Amazon that would get a branded storefront underneath the Amazon site. So you'd, there'd be a handful of like the big names, I'd probably say like JJB Sports, Mothercare, Debenhams. There's a theme with those three, by the way, in terms of where they are as businesses um, that were early adopters on that, that sort of scheme that I used to run. There's a big problem. And it's one of the three big problems in the internet for shopping right now. We touched on the uh, on one of them earlier, which was the, the, the time it takes to discover products and find the best deals. There's another one, which is that there's a huge amount of um, company reviews across the planet, but product reviews tend to exist underneath Amazon and they are sometimes incentivized, sometimes corporate espionage. We've all seen the funny ones as well. They're quite good, but are they meaningful? I mean, a vote from a friend is basically worth a thousand of those. Um, and then, yeah, like the piece that we're talking about today is, is you know, how, how do merchants, how do brands and retailers thrive when they are losing brand equity, commission rates are high and, you know, could increase at any time and they don't own the shopper. Yeah. And I, I think one of the other things we should throw into the mix here is that if 
so I think sometimes there's this misconception amongst retailers that you, if you just list the products on the marketplace, sales will miraculously come. And actually, it's like opening up a whole new business model in your business and you have to learn how to make it work. It's a whole new set of SEO. It's often a whole new set of pay-per-click rules you've got to learn. Whole new load of content creation and all the rest of it in order to to drive those sales. So it's not it's not a flicker switch and the sales come. It's probably more work than Facebook ads to make it work, just to give people a comparison out there. This is, it's not a decision to be taken lightly. So if you're going to be ploughing all this time and resource and effort into this channel, what are you not going to be doing? I suppose would be another question to ask. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You're right. And, and it's not as easy to sell on marketplaces as the YouTube entrepreneurs will have you suggest <laughs> where you can suddenly spin out an FBA business. And the irony of which is there's an awful lot of Portuguese style cork board coasters and there are something <laughs> like... 21,000 garlic presses, which are basically, oh, I might, might get that to the wrong attitude. It might be 2,100, but there's an awful lot of exactly the same garlic press on Amazon right now. Well, and let's not even start on the world of vitamins and supplements. Right, exactly. And it's all just, you know, so it isn't that easy to do. And I suppose actually outside of, and, and again, I don't know how aware people are around like the wider investment and the venture capitalist investment into businesses right now. But many of the venture capitalists, which may say that they are particularly innovative and groundbreaking, have cut some very, very big deals over the last few years with the likes of companies I recommend you would look up if you sell on marketplaces. Uh, People like Thrasio and Heroes, they're investing in businesses that are FBA businesses already profitable who are just shifting units out of Amazon like an old school drop shipper. And so that's the kind of environment that you're going into, like highly, highly funded businesses, which are a money printing machine. And who knows where they go with those? By the way, I, I don't think that's I don't think venture capitalists got any part or investments got any part in businesses like that. They should get a bank loan. It's uh, pretty straightforward <laughs> to model that business out for the next five years. Um, but that's the kind of space that you go in and compete. In. So you're right. Like it's not something that you can do half-hearted on 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 any marketplace. And so you really need to look at how do you land someone onto your site into a rich brand experience. And you know maybe maybe Shopify over the last sort of 18, 24 months have led a bit of a charge there. Maybe they've made it slightly more accessible for people to have their own site. Maybe Google and the EU tapping Google on the shoulder to say you need to open up the shopping tab and the uh, what we call product listing ads. So the ads that you see at the very, very top of Google when you look for something, maybe that's had a bit of an influence. I mean, again, I'm quite conscious that they are then, again, both big tech businesses that could be also building a landlord for you. And so there's an awful lot of stuff off the beaten track that you might want to consider as well as your own again with big tech social media right and influencers if they're real (laughs) i feel like we we could almost call this conspiracy episode but it's um you know it is all the all these things are things we should be thinking of and what we're, we're not saying that for everyone out there listening you shouldn't do marketplaces and neither are we saying that you should we're saying that you need to make a strategic decision about it with your eyes open and not just 
listened to our last episode with Chris Dawson and went, well, Chris said everyone should be on marketplaces, so we must be on marketplaces. Chris gave some amazing tips and advice around it, but we should always be asking that question, is it right for my business? And is it right for me as well, I think? Yeah, and, I, and Chris is one of the most credible people in the country, probably on the planet around marketplaces with his experience. And so I, I definitely would agree with an awful lot that he would say. But I suppose maybe there's an alternative take on this. And when you think about marketplaces, and maybe you bundle this up into AdWords and appearing on Google as well, by the way, is it really marketing? And what I mean by that is that is getting yourself seen because someone is typing in a word for a product that they've decided they wanted to buy and you're making sure that you are the most likely to capture their attention. Maybe you're the person that's got the biggest golf sign on the road pointing towards your shop and maybe you turn it now. Stuff like that needs to happen in a business to drive revenue, drive transactions and um, and like build shoppers and consumers. But is it really the sort of marketing that you want to do that excites you? Because there's an awful lot of D2C brands that are now coming up and they're not scooping up those searches that are already happening they're making a market for themselves by either doing something different or maybe some of them are pretty brazen and they're not doing anything different but they're actually do they've got a really good set of values or you know they're sustainable or there's a particular ethical way that they operate as a company and that's the memorable stuff that you you know, you cannot just turn on a marketplace strategy and hope that Thrasio are going to buy you in a few years because you've managed to make some money because someone's searching for your products, even though they're not searching for you, they've never heard of you, don't care who you are, and it's all going to get shipped in a brown Amazon box anyway. Like, There's so much more that you need to do that adds value to your contribution, to your business, to your team, to the whole ecosystem um, that you should be looking at. Excellent. I think we shall leave it there on this particular part of the topic. Uh, So we're going to pause now for a reminder of our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the wider world of marketplaces and, uh, and get Thomas's top tips around those. Success in 2021 means building stronger relationships with your customers. Last year saw a lot of consumers switching to buy online, leading to surges in new customer acquisition. So how are you planning on turning your new first-time buyers into profitable repeat customers? Well, that's what Clavio is for. Clavio helps businesses create memorable marketing moments through email, SMS and personalised website experiences. And that is what creates repeat purchases. That's why Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform, is used by over 50,000 e-commerce brands around the world. Get started with your free account today. Visit clavio.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Okay, Thomas, so far we've gone deep into marketplaces and why we might want to avoid them. Uh, Now you get to wow us with your insider knowledge about the whole world of marketplaces. So for the following questions, your answers can be anything at all to do with marketplaces, which of course covers everything we've been talking about so far. So um, are you ready for these? Sure, go for it. Okay, let's start with marketplace newbie advice. 
Normally, I'd say if we've inspired someone to take their first step with marketplaces, but I'm not sure we've done that this episode. (laughs) But if someone is taking their first step with marketplaces because it's the right strategy for them, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? Uh, Well, I I would answer that with uh, what would you do to give yourself the best chance of success in almost anything that you try and do? It's not really exclusive to marketplaces. You need to find the right sources of information and absorb all of that information as much as you can. But you really need to surround yourself with experts and the people that can trust to help you get further in your business. And so like, it's not something that you should do alone. It's not something that you should be ready to suddenly make a quick decision on a YouTube video to pay someone to maybe help you get ahead. You really need to find who are the people credible in your category, who's done it before, because I think it was Andreessen Horowitz that said like there's no new ideas anymore. So someone else has trod that path. And by the way, they might not have been successful. That's also important to learn from. So I, I always think that you need to try and surround yourself with as many people who can fill in your gaps and your weaknesses as possible. Excellent advice. Okay, once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimising. So what's your favourite way to improve marketplace performance? Go and buy Mindset by Carol Dweck and read that cover to cover several times and accept that whatever you're going to do in marketing or in life or anywhere else, you're probably going to make a ton of mistakes on the way and you need to get very good at recognising what they are, act on them quickly and then either work to correct them or accept that you can't correct them and go and find someone else that can do it. Excellent. I haven't read that book, but it's going on my um, on my reading list now. Um, and if anyone thought they could hear a dog, then that was um, in Thomas's world. So um, so don't worry, your own dog hasn't got out. Uh, <laughs> I don't you can have relax. a dog. <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely a dog noise in the background then. Um, in which, unless, of course, it's somewhere around me in the real world and I'm the only one who could hear it, in which case that's properly confused everybody. Yeah, well, Sorry we're about talking, that. We're almost on conspiracy theories. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Where's the dog, everybody? Where's the dog? Where's the dog? Um, okay, the next question is, if someone listening wants to learn more about marketplaces, is there one cheap or free resource you'd recommend? Uh, there's a pretty good book club that I see that you promote quite a lot, Chloe, and I know the Traffic That Buys book I had the privilege of reading uh, pre-publish was a great resource that I'd highly recommend to everyone. So I'm going to show your own book. I'd recommend people read that. Um, And then I would also recommend another book that I think that people should read, which is The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, because that, again, goes back into everything else around your life, but also the core kind of competency. If you are running an e-commerce business or an agency, any sort of marketing campaign that kind of test, learn, iterate, sharpen the saw, there's a lot of values in there that even though it's like pretty much 40 years old, that book, that is still very relevant today. I love that. A classic, total classic, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And, uh, and thank you very much for mentioning my book as well. Much appreciated. Okay, finally, uh, it's crystal ball time. What's coming up in the next six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for on marketplaces? Yeah, I find it quite interesting to predict like the next six to 12 months as a founder of a business that's existed for 18 months. And we're commonly asked with investors and with partners, what do you see happening in like 
three to five years and yet we're on a we're in a space where not much more than 10 years ago we were all using those nokias where the battery lasted for like 25 years and now we're all carrying supercomputers in our pocket and we've just been through a global pandemic which is sort of subsiding i mean when this is being recorded we've now got another four weeks in the uk for example where we're disrupted so you know who kind of truly knows i think the most important thing for the next six to 12 months is that you don't really know what's around the corner. So you always need to build a foundation, which is something that resonates with your customers, whomever they are, whether they're B2B customers or whether they're like your actual shoppers and you're trying to build a brand. So, you know, as much as I'm loath to kind of like quote Jeff Bezos, like it's really true what he said a few years ago, like stop sort of trying to predict the future and start second guessing what's going to happen in 6 to 12 months because we'll probably all be wrong. Go and pick the stuff that you know that is totally consistent. Like people, you know, people will want lower prices. People will want more convenience. I think that, you know, people will want to become more um, ethical and sustainable and i think that will come through but that's not like a big stunning prediction over the next six to 12 months as to what that looks like and i think that also like consumer spending shopper spending habits are going to be more online but also there's still going to there's going to be like a bottleneck of demand and so you just have to just think what am i what's going to happen in the next six, six to 12 months and what isn't going to change and that's what i need to look at that's what we're trying to do and I'd recommend anyone looks for. I love that. Definitely not a conspiracy theory. Very solid, practical advice there, everyone. Because <laughs> us humans change at a far slower rate than the tech. And at the end of the day, that's who we're selling to. <laughs> Thomas, thank you so much. We are very nearly at the end of the show. So could you let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social, please? Yeah, absolutely. So R3 has launched aggregating trainers right now. So if you're looking for a pair of trainers, it's isle-3.co is our website. Please have a look. Please uh, please check us out. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to speak to anyone running a business, uh, anyone looking to build a brand, uh, agencies, um, also people that are maybe founders like myself. I'm I, you know, I founded a business for the first time at 40 and it's been over the last 18 months one of the most rewarding and stressful times the same sort of like like in parallel and so um you know i'm always happy for people to message me directly my email is thomas at isle-3.co i will always make time to try and support someone because i think ultimately as we talked about earlier there's a theme of some of the big tech businesses here and actually you know as a community of uh, agencies, brands, individuals, entrepreneurs, and just people. I think we should be, especially after events of the last 12 to 18 months, looking out for other a bit more and trying to support each other. An excellent note to end on. Um, Thomas, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been it's been really good to explore the alternative version, i.e. where we don't sell on marketplaces and to find out what you're up to over at R3. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.
Lovely to catch up with Thomas there. And I guess this really is kind of the flip side episode to what we discussed last week with Chris Dawson, uh, which, you know, was making the point that a lot of consumers are buying on marketplaces. So that's a way of, of increasing your sales and getting your, using your product to get new people interested in your product, into your product and your brand. This episode, far more about is this a strategy you should be following? Does this fit with your aims? Is it a good idea? What what could the opportunity cost be of that? Lots of really good questions asked there by Thomas for you to, you to consider as we continue through our Marketplaces Month. Now, you can get links to everything we discussed, the full transcript of this episode, important notes and more at keepoptimising.com, including the link to aisle-3.co, which is really interesting to take a look at uh, just to see what's going on in our world, really. Now, as part of my mission to help you improve your marketing, I've invited all of our marketplace specialists this month to join us for a Q&A webinar at the end of the month. That's your question to get your chances answered, or even it's your chance to get your questions answered. To get yourself registered, just head to keepoptimising.com and you'll find out all the details. I look forward to connecting with some of you right there. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Keep Optimising podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, then please do stay tuned for the whole of this month, which is episodes 54 to 57, where we'll be exploring marketplaces from several more angles yet. And please do tell your fellow e-commerce marketers about this uh, little series and about the show because I produce it to help as many marketers as possible to improve the performance of their marketing. So I'd love to help the others that you know too. Have a great week and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you to keep optimising your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimising at keepoptimising.com. That's with an S, not a Z.